0: Father, Scripture tells us that creation groans with labor pains, waiting for healing and redemption. And the Spirit groans alongside us. Father, we do not know how to pray at times. There are not words to express all that we feel, and yet we hold on to the promise that God is with us. And we bring all that we are in the people that we love before you. Loving God, we gather in worship, offering our praise, yet also acknowledging there is pain in our midst. In whatever situation we may find ourselves, you graciously welcome us into your presence. Held in your spirit, we can proclaim the words of hope spoken by Julian of Norwich many years ago. And she said, All will be well. And all will be well. All manner of things will be well. Held in your spirit, we can also admit that it is not always easy to say these words. There are times when we cannot say them. While we yearn to trust in your promise, we have experienced the reality of lies, deceit, and dishonesty. Some of us have been left wounded by the words and the actions of others, so much so that our voices can fall silent. And so for those who cannot join in this today, we proclaim on their behalf, all will be well. All will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Sometimes all we can do is cling desperately to these words as life around us changes. We pray for those among us who are in transition, those who are mourning losses, those who are sick, and those who experience the turbulence of the seasons of life. Today, our hearts are heavy with the pain of those we know who are suffering. We weep with those who weep, and we mourn with those who mourn. We are confused, we are angry, we are sad. Sometimes we do not know how to pray. And so we gather together and bring our sorrows to you. May this community be a safe place for all who are seeking refuge. May we find comfort and rest in your word that all will be well, and all will be well. All manners of things will be well. In all manner of things, when praise resounds from our lips, when pain silences our souls, in all moments in between, your love endures and sustains. Give us the faith to trust in your love and to hope in your word that all will be well. All will be well. All manner of things will be well. Amen and amen. This morning I want to bring a message uh, that I wrote as a sermon a while back and never preached. Um, and then I turned it into a blog post, so if parts of it sounds familiar, it's, you've probably been on my, my blog page. Um, but now I've turned it back into a sermon um, and finally get the opportunity to preach it. As a teen growing up in the church, I learned that the shortest verse in the Bible was John eleven thirty five. For years, the significance of that verse was simply a bit of trivia, a bit of knowledge that you could pull out on occasion or keep in your back pocket for that inevitable question when your, your Sunday school teacher or youth pastor asked you, what's your favorite Bible verse? <laughs> Quote it. Um, John eleven thirty five. Jesus what? It proved to be handy when you got those, those quizzes or when you had to quote a, a scripture off the top of your head. The novelty this verse had for me growing up caused me to ignore it, though, as I got older. As I started studying the, the Bible in college and taking scripture and the study of scripture a little bit more seriously, the novelty that I had felt towards this verse caused me to ignore it, like it was just some sort of party trick, party favor. It wasn't serious biblical uh, scripture. It wasn't worth digging deep into. And like I said, because I took it seriously, biblical study seriously, and, and, and had actually grown frustrated with the way that um, we oftentimes find ourselves treating scriptures a little bit too superficially. Uh, bumper stickers and coffee mugs, although I love those things. Um, as a serious Bible student, I wanted to prove to my teachers, my professors, uh, my pastor, the other people on the credentialing boards, those types of things that were evaluating me on my ministry, um, and my ministry preparation. I wanted to prove to them that I took it seriously. So Jesus wept, just that's kind of a you just put that aside, that's not a serious thing to study. There was other verses that were in that, that list of novelty or superficial thing that I, I grew frustrated with. Uh, Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven, John three, sixteen, Philippians four thirteen. Right, and It's this collection of verses that we, we, we know, we throw around. Um, these scriptures had a popularity and, and oftentimes a misuse which made me hesitant to engage with them as a biblical student, as a biblical scholar. But what happened was, I, if you fast forward several years, I was no longer a student trying to impress my professors or convince them of my biblical scholarship. I was no longer... Um, coming before in, in front of boards that were evaluating my preparedness for ministry, denominational leaders, all that. I, was, I wasn't trying to convince anybody I was a serious Bible scholar anymore, but rather as a lead pastor of a local congregation who was tasked with not only caring for the people who walk through the church doors, but also caring for a community in which the church was found. Pastoral ministry shapes an individual in a very peculiar way, It's probably safe to say that those of us who embrace the vocation of pastor just have accepted the fact that we're going to be weird, we're going to be different. We're going to see things differently. It's just part of the job. Um, We're formed in unique ways by how we engage the world. And so one example of that is how I find myself probably more often than I should explaining to somebody why I just said something along the lines about how much I love funerals. I'm weird as a pastor, like it shapes you differently. Um, There's a unique type of grace though that is experienced through the process of saying goodbye to loved ones. And I marvel at the social dynamics. I I think this is why funerals intrigue me so much. There's this social dynamic that happens only in those moments. For a few hours or a few days, we are collectively given permission to grieve it's okay to be upset for those few moments those few days surrounding the loss of a loved one as a community people say yeah that makes sense that you're upset and they give grace and they give encouragement and they give extra love and support most of the time our culture tells us that acknowledging pain acknowledging loss or grief is a sign of vulnerability or a sign of weakness But when we gather together acknowledging that we have lost a loved one, we become a small community that gives the members of that community permission to mourn. And so there's this holy transparency and fellowship with funerals that honestly pastors spend a tremendous amount of work the rest of the year trying to develop in our congregations under more normal circumstances. But just instinctively, when someone we care about passes away, we become that community that, that knows how to grieve together. And in these quickly fleeting moments where it is expected for one to be grieving, there is freedom to be honest about our feelings. When some says, someone says, how are you doing? It's not, oh, I'm fine. Let's move on to maybe talk about the weather or something else. But it, we understand that there's a deeper sincerity behind that question. How are you doing? And we can be honest with others, with ourselves, and we can be honest with God in these moments. And so by acknowledging our pains, we receive grace. By being honest about what we're experiencing, we receive comfort. We experience healing. And so for the past several years, I've wrestled with this idea of grieving as a practice of receiving grace. Experts in a variety of fields um, Scholars and and doctors and scientists and all different types of people will tell us that experiencing grief is normal and honestly is healthy. Yet, I've observed some very real barriers to our participating in a healthy grieving process. Some of those barriers look like the fact that grieving makes us acknowledge our vulnerabilities and weaknesses while we live in a culture that places its highest values on strength and independence, grieving makes you look vulnerable, it makes you look weak in a culture that says the greatest values you can embody are strength and your ability to do it all on your own. Grieving can make other people uncomfortable because nothing can be said or done to fix the situation. There's no quick fix. I mean, When you comfort someone who has recently lost a loved one. There's no words that you can say that is going to fix that situation. That's why we feel uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Because there's a need there that we know we can't meet. Grieving requires a space in which it's okay to operate at less than our best. Right? Yet our lives rarely have enough buffer or margin to not perform at 110%. Right? And so we don't grieve because we can't let ourselves shift down a gear. We can't give ourselves the space not to be doing our very, very best. Another barrier is that grieving requires people who engage others with empathy, grace, and compassion, even if they do not fully understand what we are experiencing. In our culture, empathy is not one of the top virtues or top values. Being able to look at somebody who is struggling and suffering and say, I don't know what's going on with you, but I can give you space and support That's not a strength of our society. So grief can arise due to a variety of losses. Not simply the death of a loved one. Yet collectively as a society, we seem to have agreed subconsciously or instinctively that that's the only one that we're going to give space to. That death is the only acceptable source of grief worth acknowledging. That's a real barrier in our culture. These barriers, are, they prevent us from acknowledging the profound losses we have and experienced. And because we don't acknowledge them, we make it difficult for ourselves to receive the grace and the healing that comes from mourning a loss in community with others. Whether it be the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of financial stability, loss of a pet that you cared about, loss of whatever it might be, our culture tells us you just kind of need to get over that. Sadly, Christians have not only experienced the barriers listed above, but we've added our own unhealthy and unbiblical barriers into the mix as well. So sometimes a barrier can be that we think being a Christian means we're supposed to be happy all the time. (laughs) You can't be sad, you're a Christian. Or we think that grieving is evidence that you have a lack of faith or a lack of trust. Or we might think that grieving means that we don't understand that God is in control. If you knew that God was in control, you wouldn't be so upset. Or another barrier could be that acknowledging feelings of loss means you are not acknowledging God's blessings that you've received. Just look at the bright, bright side of things. Just look at the good things that God has given you. Just ignore the, the difficult thing, right? You're, you're focusing on the negative. You should focus on the, on the positive that God has done. And so we as Christians kind of put this barrier in front of ourselves. Another barrier in the, in the Christian world is that others may have experienced greater loss than you have experienced. And so maybe we feel shame or guilt for feeling the way that we feel when we know that somebody has lost just as much as we have or more. And so we don't want to acknowledge it. After all, the loss of my goldfish probably doesn't rate up to the loss of somebody else's loved one, right? I don't have a goldfish. I didn't lose a goldfish. I don't... <clears throat> but despite the fact that most books in the Bible capture an individual or a community experiencing some amount of loss, some sort of grief, I mean, the, the, the scripture that Pastor Hannah read to us this morning is, is a scripture written by somebody in deep sorrow, deep mourning. But for whatever reason, Christians are hesitant to embrace those biblical words as our own. We often have an unhealthy relationship with grief and a collective inability to mourn losses, whether big or small. Life is about growth and change, but it's also about loss and pain. Often it's easy to mask the loss with the hope of the future, to move on to the next thing, to focus our attention to what's coming next without ever really confronting what's right in front of us in the present. Time and again, I've witnessed our society's deep need to be led in mourning. There's these moments that, that grief and mourning just kind of break out in unexpected and, and, and surprising ways. If you remember back to the beginning of this year, in, in January of 2020, back before COVID was even a thing on anybody's radar, uh, an NBA legend, Kobe Bryant, was killed along with his daughter in a helicopter crash. You guys remember that? Like, <clears throat> I, I was surprised at the impact that that had on society at large. I mean, it's hard to remember this because COVID seems to have taken over and then the political stuff has seemed to have taken over. But for a few weeks in January, Kobe Bryant was all that was on the news. It was everywhere. People that didn't even really care about basketball were talking about Kobe Bryant. His impact on on the society and the culture was just laid bare for all to see. And it was was kind of strange to see the, the communal grief that our our nation experienced when Kobe and his daughter passed. Current and former NBA players uh, led us in a liturgy of grieving before the NBA games. There were special services and ceremonies. There were stories told about Kobe the player, told about Kobe the man, Kobe the father. Moments of recognition and honor-filled TV screens and social media alike. He was everywhere. And even some of his failures and faults and sins were brought out and discussed in a respectful manner. And the reason I bring up Kobe now is, is that it just it caught me off guard that as a society, we, we took a moment to acknowledge the passing of someone who had shaped our cultural imagination for a season. People that didn't even really care that much about basketball were caught up. Maybe it was his relationship with his daughter. Maybe it was his relationship with his wife that the, the stories kind of pulled people in. I I still can't explain it, but for a moment, our nation just stopped and grieved. But it's not just with Kobe that this happens. More recently, the longtime host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek, passed away, and that imp- impacted certain segments of the population. Um, and there's been others this year. Some of these, you may not even have known past this year because of all the other stuff going on, but Chuck Yeager, Sean Connery, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Chadwick Boseman, all died in 2020, and their losses had profound effects on various communities, and you may not know who all those people are, but there's people out there that their loss created tremendous amounts of grief, and again, this isn't unique to 2020, for some, it was the death of Princess Diana years ago, you guys remember the impact that had on the nation, if you were around. Or the death of Chester Bennington, or Robin Williams, or Neil Pert, or Heath Ledger, and we could go on and on and on. But these, these celebrity or well-known uh, people in our culture, their passings, c- captured the, the nation's attention and gave us permission to grieve and mourn. People we've never met, but people who had a collective impact on many of us. And because enough of us sensed that sense of loss, enough of us experienced some sort of feeling of sorrow over that person's loss, because there was enough of us in culture talking about it, we had for a moment permission to grieve. If only for a moment. And so through all this, I've come to a conclusion that might seem obvious, yet it's still important to verbalize. If loss is a part of life, then so is grieving. It does not indicate our lack of faith or our hope in God. It does not mean that we don't trust God in the future. It does not mean that we we think we have suffered more than anyone else. It means we've experienced loss. We felt the pain and properly acknowledged it so that we could honor the important things in our lives and at the same time begin a process of healing. Jesus wept. John chapter 11 is the story of Jesus finding out his dear friend Lazarus was sick. Jesus had avoided the area where Lazarus was because the last time he went there, they tried to kill him, not Lazarus, but people tried to kill him when he was in that region. And so he left in a hurry the last time, and so he was hesitant to go back. He got word that his friend Lazarus was sick, and when he heard about the news, he didn't immediately go to be with his friend, but rather he stayed where he was for a few days. And by the time Jesus arrived, Lazarus had already been dead for several days. Jesus was met by grieving family members as he approached where they were. It was at this moment, confronted by the loss of a friend, confronted by the pain of a grieving family of close friends, that Jesus himself began weeping. And Jesus knew he was able to raise Lazarus, he knew that everything was going to be okay. He, he knew that his father was still in control. He trusted his father. And yet, Jesus wept. He experienced pain that comes from loss. And the Bible said he was deeply moved. It says he was deeply moved by the grieving family. And that again, he was deeply moved as he approached the place where Lazarus was buried. And many of us know the rest of the story. Jesus called for Lazarus to get up from the tomb. Lazarus raised to life and emerged alive. Jesus created the happy ending. Yet in the moments when the loss was the most real and the most present, in the moments where Jesus was confronted by this, the reality of loss, Jesus wept. And so I come back to this simple verse now because we find ourselves in a unique situation that we have experienced this year. Not only do we have concerns about the the impact that, you know, COVID could have on our health, but we experience loss on a scale that many of us have never experienced before. In a variety of arenas and areas of our lives. And the challenge for us is to fight against that impulse, that instinct to trivialize those losses. To move on to the next thing, to just chalk it up, to buck up, pull up our bootstraps and keep moving. Our instincts is just to ignore or trivialize the pains and the sorrows of the losses we've experienced. and Yet we're feeling stuck because our typical response to move on to the next thing rather than slow down and work through them. But due to the nature of the pandemic and all the restrictions and everything else that's going on, we're mostly prohibited from moving quickly out of this environment that we find ourselves in. Right? There's, there's no place to just move on to the next thing because there's, the next thing's on hold. And so we're forced to live in this moment maybe longer than we're comfortable with, longer than we want to. And so many of us do not want to name that which we are losing during this time or acknowledge the pain that we feel. But I'm convinced that for us to move Forward, when all of this is over that we must be like Jesus and weep for a moment. So I'm going to name a few losses in the hopes that I create space for you and all of us to have permission to put our pains in words as well. So a few losses that I've experienced this year. A loss of control over my life. I realize that I'm not as independent as I thought I was. Others have an impact on my life, and I have a real impact on the lives of others. Another loss is the loss of freedom and autonomy. Choices have been removed from me by people with more authority or more expertise. A loss of distraction or diversion. There are many things over the course of a year that I, I turn to when things get difficult. When I need some light-hearted entertainment, something fun, some enjoyment. And, and many of those things weren't options for much of this year. Watching the Chicago Cubs play baseball is probably one of my favorite things to do. And that happened for a, a small, weird portion of the year. Um, going to movies, going to church gatherings. We had a family trip to Disney plan this year that was canceled. It wasn't a real fun year. There's a loss of tradition. For for the past seven years in a row, uh, I've taken Jonas to Indianapolis to the Supercross dirt bike races. This year, we had tickets to take the whole family. It was the first time that all the kids and Jessica were going to get to go. It was their big Christmas present last year, actually, the tickets. And Supercross was the first thing that we lost as a family. It was the first thing that was canceled when COVID started to take off in March. We were supposed to go March 14th and that didn't happen. There's a loss of routine. If you're getting to know me at all, you'll realize I'm not a huge fan of surprises. (laughs) I prefer knowing what to expect so I can plan effectively. And this disruption of regular activities has dramatically changed my reality. A loss of routine, for sure. But also a loss of space. I love traveling. A short drive to a coffee shop to do some sermon research or sermon prep or sermon writing is about uh, the drive, as much as this is about the sermon. Like I, I love that, that moment of, you know, traveling somewhere new or something different. Um, but now I'm, I'm home or I'm at the church office for a while. And other than that, we didn't really travel much, other than the move, which is a whole nother level of complexity. Um, another loss is the loss of family and relationship. How many family gatherings were canceled or scaled down this year? Easter, 4th of July, birthdays, family reunions, Thanksgiving, Christmas, graduation parties, and so on. And this is just a quick list off the top of my head. I'm certain we all have our own list, too. I think of the seniors in high school or in college that had huge expectations for what their senior year was going to look like and how much they've lost in comparison to what they thought their semester would be like. I know family vacations and gatherings have been canceled. I know important projects at work have been stalled out. I know job interviews have been canceled. People who were about to take important steps in their lives were told that they couldn't. They were unable to. Weddings and funerals and children being born, all these hopes and plans are modified or canceled in significant ways. Important moments forever affected by our current situation. Jesus wept. Jesus knew that Lazarus would raise from the dead. Jesus knows that for many of us, life will go on once all this has run its course. There is a future out there that we will all get to experience one way or the other. But let us not ignore the losses that we are experiencing today. Let us not pretend that we are okay in those moments when we are not. And let us not judge others when they express their pain. John eleven thirty five. 35 is not the answer to a trivia question about what the shortest verse in the Bible is. It's the answer to the question about what God wants us to do when we experience loss. Cry. Grieve with loved ones. Speak the words out loud. Write the words down. Light a candle. Jesus tells us that God comforts those who mourn. God does not judge, condemn, mock or punish us rather god comforts us in our most vulnerable moments and i think now more than ever it's important for us to express our grief and so in just a a moment we're going to do a bit of a call and response where i'm going to read a a verse of scripture from uh, psalm 13 and then there'll be a response on the screen for you to respond back to Um, And then I'll read another verse of Scripture, and then there'll be a response for you to read back to. Um, I think you guys understand how how this works. Um, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Lord, our Lord, We feel forgotten. We know your promises to be with us always. Yet we have been alone and isolated. How long must this persist? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. It appears that the enemy is winning, Please, Lord, stop him. We cannot bear to see this adversary. The enemy of our lives and of our community believe he is successful. But I trusted you in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Is there one more. We long to sing praise to sense your goodness again. For deep down, we trust in your goodness. Amen. You don't have to read it twice. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) Um, uh, In a moment, I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and they're going to lead us in uh, a few songs. Um, And during that time, I want to invite you to obviously sing along, praise, pray in your seats, whatever you want. But up front, you'll find some candles. Um, and if you want to come and lament as a community, if you want to come and name uh, loss, feel free to come and light a candle. I've got three lighters up here. I've got hand sanitizer there if you want to sanitize up before or after using because I realize we're sharing a a lighter here. Um, Come, and if you want to come and light a candle and pray or just stand for a moment or return back to your seats, um, that will be an option for you. And we'll just use this next few moments of song and praise as a time of communal lament. Um, I meant to tell the worship team before they made it up on the platform if they wanted to light a candle, they could.